Hello and welcome to Biopod, the official podcast from the School of Biological Sciences here at the University of Edinburgh. In this set of episodes, we're looking back on COP26 from the perspective of the researchers who are there and the researchers who work to tackle the problems we face due to climate change. Today, we have somebody who does both, our wonderful guest, Professor Louise Horsfall, Chair of Sustainable Biotechnology at the University of Edinburgh. Welcome to the podcast, Professor. Thank you very much. So, to start with, why do you care about climate change? Why wouldn't I care about climate change? It's incredibly important. It's affecting everybody. Globally, it's affecting everybody. It's only the the very richest minority that can afford to ignore it. Um, and, And that just doesn't really seem like just and right. Um, how what's an, what's an example of how it might impact people's day-to-day lives in climate change? Well, I think especially in, in Scotland, there's an awful lot of communities that um, the, the changing weather, the rising, because we've got so much coastal area, um, the rising sea levels, there's just so much impact that, that we're going to feel. You know, we, we have certain crops in Scotland that that we grow an awful lot of, like potatoes, and their need, or we're going to need to adjust uh, the the food production that we're reliant upon as well. This this, is, yeah, it's just such such a wide-ranging topic that's going to impact upon everybody, and food prices are already increasing, Um, and yeah, I think everybody is feeling the pinch. Okay. Ah, yeah, so it's going to hit us in the stomach then, <laughs> most certainly. Yeah, so uh, earlier last year, you attended COP26, the 26th United Nations Climate Change Conference that was held last year over in Glasgow. How did you end up getting involved in this conference and what was it like to attend? Um, well, I, I saw something uh, within the university information that said that it was going to be involved in COP26 and that if you wanted to go you could put your name in a ballot and they would select a range, a diverse range of staff and students from the university, not necessarily academic staff or any staff that that wanted to attend. So I actually went through on on that method. I was selected and, and given a week to attend. Okay, so uh, what did you do whilst you were there then for the entire week? Um, well, I missed one day because I had to do something else, but I swapped that with somebody else. So they got the opportunity to go when they'd missed out on the ballot, which, so yes, we share. Um, <laughs> but I spent most of the time in the blue zone. So I was listening a lot to policy and how policymakers were talking to each other, the technology that that people wanted to, or the technological solutions that that were being offered or might be coming down the line um, and how that needs to, or 
yeah, how that needs to inform policy changes and how policy changes can direct where these new technologies, the investment in those new technologies and, and things like that. It was it was incredibly interesting. And obviously the, the area that this is linked to us, I've said how important it is, but by putting certain policies in place, you can really encourage technology development um, and you can really just discourage certain technology development. In the zones at COP26, there's a blue zone. What else was there? And what was yeah. specific about blue zone, which you're yeah, in sorry. Policy? So yeah, the, the blue zone was where the negotiations were, were taking place and where the, the big talks and big presentations are taking place. The green zone was, I think about halfway through, made open to the public entirely. And that was more a, a presentation space and a understanding of climate change and its impacts and quite an educational space. Whereas the blue zone, as I said, there the was talks presented about technology so it's educating perhaps in that way for people that didn't know what the newest technology was but um, it, it was quite dominated by policy podiums and and companies making presentations of, of what they're currently implementing focusing on uh, future perspectives okay oh excellent so I wasn't too sure which designs were um, to get back to it then what were the of technologies if they were looking at encouraging or discouraging from your four days there that you particularly noticed so the the one that i was particularly drawn to because it's linked to some of the research that i'm doing was the electrification of transport so there was a whole day really that was devoted to a lot of talks in in that area um and it again because of the area that i worked on i got very frustrated by the oversight of all these um, technologies were being discussed but there was quite often the sourcing of materials that's used for green technologies was not being discussed and so there were companies it was it, it, it was it was really interesting because there were talks right next to each other where there was a policymaker who was really quite senior saying, you know, we need to think about a circular economy. We need to think about how we ethically source um, these critical materials that we're reliant upon, that the technology is advancing. We're wanting mass adoption. We're going to the demand is is going through the roof. And then you'd have a company who was like, yes and fantastic and our next technology is going to be totally reliant on cobalt and you're just like no <laughs> um, <laughs> so it was important for me to, to to hear that that oversight was still happening that that certainly there were certainly those those companies that are embracing the idea of a circular economy and, and ethically sourcing but there's still this technology drive at all costs it doesn't matter where things are coming from and i strongly believe that that needs to be changed and 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 the thought of ethical sourcing needs to come in right at the beginning of of research advances in in technology so it was hearing some of that being discouraged or some of it just just that juxtaposition of, of those two kind of viewpoints um, I guess, whereas electrification generally was being very encouraged. 
and also conversations about bio-derived aviation fuels and the current drop-in replacements and the limitations of those. And they were recognised, there are limitations there. And ultimately, it's it's literally just a, a stopgap and we need to move on to, to something else. So it wasn't that it was that technology was being discouraged. It was just that it, it was recognised it had a certain lifetime, that it was going to solve a problem while we found a better solution, which was quite nice. Well, yeah, one of the problems I've been when I've been looking at these things is people expect something to be perfect from the back. And if it's not perfect, they don't want to implement it. So measures such as these, which are just a small step up, are quite important. Did you get a chance to contribute to any of these discussions whilst you were there? Or were you there as an observer? Um, I was there as an observer, but certainly within these, these podiums, it was, um, yeah, while there was quite often a panel and then there was the opportunity afterwards to ask questions. You had to get in there quick. So I learned that <laughs> after not getting in there quick enough uh, on the first day. Um, but yes, certainly um, there was there was questions to be asked and that led to some really good conversations with the panellists after perhaps the, the, the open panel as well kind of continued afterwards. Uh, you mentioned uh, special electrification was uh, relevant to your research interests. What are they and how do they shape your uh, approach to COP26? So my research interests are basically the application of synthetic biology to improve sustainability. Um, <laughs> so during manufacturing, there's quite often a lot of waste, yeah. um, including um, waste that's contaminated with metals. Which, which limits what you can do with it. And then, of course, separate to that, um, there's also challenges when technologies come to their end of life, when they become a waste and, and trying to dismantle them. And there's, there's some fantastic ideas about circular economy and designing for reuse and dismantling, and, but eventually everything comes to the end of life even then. And when metals are involved, there are ways of recycling them sometimes. So uh, normal lead acid batteries are incredibly recyclable. We've got great targets for those. When it comes to lithium ion batteries, there's actually very little we can do at the moment. So very, very little is um, able to be recovered and, and reused in, in any form. And it's not the sole part of my research, but a lot of what we've been focusing on is how we can use bacteria to selectively recover metals from solution. So when it comes to like a, a lithium ion battery, there are technologies to chemically leach it anyway, but that leachate then is, there are again technologies that you can try and use to separate out some of the metals but they're not, they're not sustainable, um, they don't tick that box, but also they still have challenges separating certain metals. And biology is incredibly selective and specific for metals. So we want to harness that ability to be able to work with wastes that contain metals, and end-of-life technologies 
um, so that we can recover those metals and reuse them in a high value form because as well when it comes to recycling everything that seems to go into recycling comes out in a form that is of lower value that's kind of circles down into still just being rubbish so it's it's the fact that biology bacteria when when we've engineered them sometimes they're producing very high quality metal nanoparticles that outperform chemically synthesized nanoparticles for example okay so instead of recycling it's uh, upcycling yes uh, yes do you work with emergent battery technologies so uh, battery technologies people are already working on and would you work to, d- to develop recycling or upcycling upcycling techniques for those whilst they're being developed because of the Faraday Institution, yes, we are. Being part of that is really helpful because it means that while they funded a number of quite large projects, we hear about their developments all the time. So it's quite interesting how focused they are on reducing the amount of cobalt, which is fantastic because we're because it's a critical metal and with battery technology is very dependent on it it's the most expensive part of a battery but but then you've got to consider at the moment the recycling technologies that are available or that that are in development um, are specifically picking off the more expensive metals they don't care they don't care about the rest there's no financial incentive to be able to to deal with them Um, So by reducing that amount of cobalt, there is going to be less financial incentive to recycle any of the lithium-ion batteries. So without the intervention of policymakers and and policy, which they're they're talking about putting in place, certainly um, Europe's talking about batteries needing to be 100% recyclable, that without that policy requiring um, consideration of, of full recycling, the technologies are, I, I don't know, what's, what's going to happen? <laughs> the, the, if you reduce the cobalt, nobody's going to want to recycle any of it. So it, I wouldn't have yeah. thought of that at all. Yeah. So it's, yeah, it's, it's the implications of the, the technology changes and the recycling technology changes and, and how they need to be fitted together and work with policy. Oh, excellent. Thank you. That was a lovely answer. Um, so when you're going to COP26, um, do you have any collaborators you expected to see there or uh, people you already knew were attending who you'd worked with previously? Uh, so very much, again, the electrification of vehicles, yeah. I bumped into a number of people that, that I, yes, have collaborated with um, or that I have met through the Faraday Institution, which is um, the UK's funding mechanism industry strategy challenge fund has put this kind of grouping together that's called the Faraday institution which is a virtual it's not yeah um it it has representation from universities across the country it's kind of independent to the research councils but still receives UKRI funding okay uh, do you think the discussions held at COP26 especially well I'll ask specifically about electrification do you think it influenced any policy change or design uh, from what you've seen I think I I think so I hope so the conversations in that area were really promising 
And I think certainly with some of the company, perhaps um, we're presenting the new advances or the next stage where I was not just me, where, where <laughs> there was um, criticism of certain considerations or prioritization of certain things over others. I th- I'm hoping that perhaps their perspective was broadened a little bit. Uh, has attending the conference itself affected you at all? Uh, have you had any new ideas or thoughts about where your group should go? Not exactly, not research wise, but it has actually made me eat a lot more vegetarian and vegan food. (laughs) (laughs) Interesting. Um, I think it was just the, I hadn't, it it was something that was, that was there that I was aware of, um, you know, food miles and, um, how it's more sustainable to have less meat in your diet, but it wasn't something that I'd taken personal responsibility for and actually implemented. And so, yeah, it just kind of gave me that kick up the bum to actually, yeah, take a bit more personal responsibility with regards to what I was eating. So trying to practice a bit more of what I preach. Excellent personal growth. Uh, Just an aside, did they have a lot of... um agricultural business at COP26, especially promoting vegan or vegetarian produce? There was a lot of criticism uh, on the food miles um, and the um, unsustainability of, of what was, the poor sustainability of what was being provided as food in the first week when I wasn't there. Mm. Um, and then the second week, when I went I did notice that they kind of that information was given for for every time that you went to the cafeteria so it was kind of just encouraging you to make that choice of okay well I'll have that instead of that because I I don't mind which one so it there was that aspect it was certainly in the news the, the week before that I went and then going around um the, the different exhibitions it was there for some of them and then not there for for others which you know it's it, it depends the the country's exhibition space and what the focus was that day and, and things excellent i'm going to move on to my last few questions now if you don't mind um i'm going to ask specifically about your field do you have you seen any impacts of cot 26 so far now we're a few months out There's been a lot more discussion about how it's going to make, well, yeah, how, how our research fits, perhaps more within the UN sustainability goals rather than specifically COP26. So iGEM, which is the International Synthetic Biology Competition, um, that actually uh, expected last, last year, which kind of took place, I guess, uh, around COP26 time, um, it expected the students to be able to articulate their their project within the UN sustainability sustainable development goals, like how it's contributing to to benefiting those. That's going to continue. Um, I've definitely heard conversations um, from the IBIRC, the Scottish Industrial Biotechnology Innovation Centre, about 
more again about the UN Sustainable Development Goals and how that needs to be a focus for where the, the direction of, of research. And similarly, I'm involved in the organisation of a conference that's going to be happening in November. And that's application, the sorry, Applied Synthetic Biology in Europe. And it's the sixth one in, in a series that happens every couple of years. We're again thinking of actually theming the, the conference around a grouping of, of sustainable development goals. So it's not specifically COP26, which is, is a bit limited when, when it's conversation solely about climate change, because there's so many things that feed into that and it, it kind of gets broadened out and then it gets narrowed back in. And you, climate change, it, it's so interwoven with those sustainable development goals, but yeah, it's, it's not necessarily the focus of, of being able to provide solutions to them. So it's, it's kind of, they, they sit together, um, but yeah. Um, so there's been, yes, there's been a lot of conversations around the UN Sustainable Development Goals and COP26 and climate change. And it was nice to hear how, how much solution focus was was being put rather than arguing about causes and whose fault it is and it, it was more about how we're going to actually tackle this which which is what scientists want to be able to hear so they go right okay you've given me a problem now uh, I can I can see if I can help solve it excellent uh, previously you've said uh, talking about COP26 that you want it to change the conversation. And especially if you compare this to the COP25, which is in Paris, like you said, we're less debating whether climate change exists and now we're talking about how do we solve it or what should we do. In this context, do you think COP26 was successful? So have we changed the conversation? I think yes, uh, but then it's been limited in its solutions and also I don't want to really call it a distraction because that's not giving it due importance, but obviously um, COVID is really just, it, it's again tied into climate change and the significance there. And it's affected everybody dramatically in a very short period of time, whereas climate change is gonna affect everybody more but in a longer period of time so it's yeah it's I think it's changed the conversation I think the conversation has moved on I think we are talking now about solutions so that's successful but COP26 was also frustrating um, you know some of the first announcements that kind of set the scene were not as encouraging or not as ambitious as they should have been, and that they could have been. Uh, certainly countries that, that were pulling away from, from trying to really commit to ambitious targets. And then even when we know from, from the UK, when we commit to ambitious targets, that ends up being like as much wiggle room as possible put into that. And 
um, what does that actually really mean? How can we double count things? And so it's still <laughs> it's still incredibly frustrating that that more progress wasn't made. And I think for those that were very involved in it, you could see that disappointment. It was it was tangible. Okay, so some progress, but not as much as it could have been. I wouldn't put it on the researchers. I mean, everyone who I've seen is speaking about what they do and speaking to you today seems so enthusiastic about wanting to solve it, wanting to be a part of it. And it seems like these are the sorts of events where you do get to have a voice, but it's up to others to listen, I guess. Yeah, absolutely. I think it was incredibly important for me personally to go and experience something of, of that scale. Uh, and I'll... I know that you you asked me and I said, I don't think it's really changed my, my research head. But I think that's because I, I, that's where my head was already any pointed anyway. Um, but yeah, motivation wise, I guess, you know, it, it kind of, yeah, it's, it, it is that thing that keeps, that, that can help keep you going. Excellent. Um, final question then, did you meet Obama? No, I didn't, but I was um, I was brushed aside by security so that uh, John Kerry could walk past. Oh, that's quite good. <laughs> <laughs> it was literally like, excuse me, excuse me. Yeah. Like the phone is getting pushed into a wall. Um, yeah, pretty much. <laughs> okay. Oh, thank you very much. That's all I have for you. And thank you for your time, Professor. Um, it's been wonderful insight into COP26, and I appreciate your candor into how successful COP26 was. Because, I mean, it's not all roses, and that's what I wanted to find out. So thank you as well, dear listeners. Please don't forget to subscribe to our podcast wherever you find it, and follow us on Twitter or Facebook at Biopod Edinburgh. Otherwise, enjoy your day, and see you next time.